Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Well, the month of August is here. Students are back on campus soon, and that means college athletics are back and Fizz 5 is back. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition. I'm Adam Gakin, joined today by a new face in Tyler Aiken, a new member of the Fizz family. Tyler, we're happy to have you. Excited to be here. Excited to finally be back and out of the dead season of sports because, boy, it has been a long summer. Oh, yes, it is. And Tyler, before we get into things, let me ask you a question. What are you most excited for in the Fizz family? Most excited for in the Fizz family? Well, look, I I was looking at some of the uh, predictions that happened before every football game and basketball game last year, and the Fizz don't have a don't have a great reputation with predicting outcomes of games. And I, I'm really looking forward to changing that narrative and hopefully bringing a few guys along with me and predicting some of these games correctly. <laughs> All right, we'll see, we'll see. But with that, let's get right in to topic number one. Number one. Let's start things off with a former SU player signing a new contract in the NBA. Buddy Beheim just recently re-signed with the Detroit Pistons. He signed in what's called a Exhibit 10 deal, which means that it's a one-year minimum salary could potentially be moved to a two-way deal, but that must be enacted before the start of the regular season. It's a bit of an interesting thing. It's definitely a quirk that you really only see in the NBA, but with only two former Syracuse players in the NBA right now, I think that this is a really good sign for SU, isn't it, Tyler? It is a good sign. Look, Bayheim had a really weird summer where he was dropped in the middle of summer league by the Pistons. He was released... He continued to play the rest of Summer League with them, and he shot the lights out from behind the arc. He shot over 50% from three, and clearly they liked what they saw enough to re-sign Buddy. Now, is this going to turn into a two-year deal? I don't know. The Pistons are not a great three-point shooting team, bottom 10 in the NBA last year, so could certainly use something like Buddy brings, but the defensive aspect of Beheim's game just really could provide a challenge and being a stable aspect of the Pistons roster. Yeah, absolutely. He's such an interesting player because he shot 57% from three in summer league in the G league this past year, he shot 37% and averaged 12 points a game. Offensively, he has what it takes to play in the NBA, especially when he gets hot, because when he gets hot, he can be one of the best shooters, I think, in all of basketball. But what you said is exactly right. It's the defense that makes me worry about him. He's such a good player when it comes to the offensive end. His defense, I mean, we saw it back when he was playing for Syracuse. It was almost like a crutch sometimes, and this team struggled because of it. I just, I don't know if his defense is good enough to keep him on the NBA roster. Again, the Pistons will have to decide by the start of the regular season if they want to keep him in the NBA or bring him back to the G League. But either way, I kind of mentioned this in the first second, but I think it's important for at least another Syracuse player to be in the talks of making it to an NBA roster. Because when I realized there were only two current or two former SU players currently playing in the NBA, that shocked me. And I think that's a really bad sign, 
about what's happened recently in Syracuse basketball because we think of Syracuse as being one of the best programs in the country and they just have two players in the NBA. Like, that's crazy, is it not? It's ridiculous. I mean, even you think back a decade ago, well, Carmelo was always the guy. There are always a few other players filtering in and out of the league. Hakeem Warwick was a journeyman for a few years. Michael Carter-Williams, believe it or not, was an NBA <laughs> Rookie of the Year as much as people want to forget that that <laughs> happened. So there are always a few guys. And look, Jeremy Grant is a great basketball player. He got a heck of a lot of money this offseason. That's good for him. But it shouldn't just be him and one other guy. And interestingly enough, I think during Summer League, we saw maybe someone not named Buddy Bayheim that might be putting himself in a good position. And that's Cole Swider. He averaged over 15 points a game in Summer League. He really provided some decent wing work for the Lakers. He started every Summer League game. I think Swider might actually be the guy from this most recent generation of SU basketball players that breaks in and finds an actual contract with an NBA team. Yeah, Cole Swider is such an interesting prospect because he came into Syracuse after spending years at Villanova where, you know, he was a good player. And he, I thought he looked pretty good at Syracuse. I felt like he was better than a lot of people made him out to be. And like you said, he was pretty good this summer. I mean, does he have a chance to, you think, actually be a contributor in the NBA? The Lakers are a total crapshoot right now. I mean, who in the world knows what's going on right now with the Lakers? LeBron is probably gone after this year once Bronny, if he makes the NBA, goes wherever he goes. I mean, maybe there's a chance for Swider to make it. I know I know, we were talking about Buddy coming into this, but I think you just brought up a really interesting point. Uh, look, the Lakers for the past several years have been LeBron, Anthony Davis and everybody else. And there's just so much flexibility with that. Everybody else group. Look, I'm not saying that Cole Swider is going to be the next Austin Reeves, but do I think he's probably better than most 11th or 12th guys on NBA rosters? Yes, absolutely. I think he's a plug and play type of guy that you can put in for a few minutes. He's not going to start. He's not going to play significant minutes, but if you've got a few injuries, you need some points off the bench and someone that's not too much of a liability elsewhere. Why not put Swider in? If it's not with the Lakers, I think there might be some other teams that at least show some interest if they've got room on the end of their bench. All right. Well, we'll see. You know, there's two guys right there. We're talking about a potentially making it to the NBA this year. But I think of the current team, there's a lot of players that have a chance of making it to the next level. So let's talk about the 2020. 2024 Syracuse men's basketball team. That's going to be topic number two. Number two. Well, recently there have been some videos that have come out from Syracuse men's basketball practice. And one that was actually re released today that piqued my interest. We're recording this here on Thursday. And it was Syracuse really pushing the pace, playing in transition. That's something we haven't seen that much lately. It was, I think, Malik Brown play, making a good defensive play and then just through the transition, Kadir Copeland eventually scoring on a dunk. This is one of the best videos that I think I've seen of Syracuse basketball in a long, long time, to be honest, of just this team finally pushing the pace and playing with some pressure. Uh, look, I, I, everyone will talk so much about the summer videos and, oh, you know, even Ben Simmons can shoot during the summer. But it's not just about how well the players are playing. It's about the strategy that's being used and how much change there is with 
what the makeup of this Syracuse roster is going to be. And I'm actually really glad you didn't just focus on the guards because it's so easy to be like, Judamins, JJ Starling, they're going to run and gun up the court and the offense is going to look great. But you mentioned a name that we all know Francesco likes <laughs> quite a bit, and that is Malik Brown. There are so many questions for the center position on this Syracuse roster. And as much as Naheem McLeod looks like he has a lot of potential, he didn't get many minutes at Florida State. We have no idea how good he's going to be. We have no idea how much the rest of the centers are going to develop. So if Syracuse, maybe not for the full game, but if at times when it needs to move quickly, can plug and play Malik Brown at center and have five fast guys on the court that can sprint down and get right back into defense, that will be very exciting to watch. Me and Francesco actually talked about this the last time we did a Fizz 5 together. We spent a good five, ten minutes on can Malik Brown be the starting center and you just touched on this, but imagine how good of a lineup that could be. Imagine how athletic of a lineup that could be. If you're talking Judah Mintz, JJ Starling, Chris Bell, Kadir Copeland, and Malik Brown as your five. I mean, that's a team that is just going to run you off the court, push the pace up and down. I don't know if they'll rebound the ball too well. But at the end of the day, that's just something different. That's something that we haven't seen from Syracuse in such a long time. I mean, I think that we see a lot of press, and I'm really excited to see what Adrian Autry does with this, what does with this athletic squad. And I also think we have to give a lot of props to Jim Beheim for recruiting these guys who are here, for recruiting Malik Brown, for recruiting Kadir Copeland, because these guys have set up Syracuse for success for this next couple of years. The depth pieces will absolutely be big. Look, there's a concern of, oh, well, is Malik Brown big enough to play center in the ACC? I don't want to hear that. Marek Dolajai was 180 pounds soaking wet and played center and had to guard Zion Williams. I Malik Brown is absolutely strong enough to play center. So if that's anybody's concern, I don't think it should be too much of a worry. So that's kind of issue number one. And moving on to talking about the press defense, I, I think that really could be an option. Last year, the press did not work at all. But if it's a new scheme and SU is not falling back into a zone defense, then it makes it a lot easier to, to run a press because then you can just keep guarding your man all the way down the court and it's easy. So those defensive scheme changes should make a big difference in how successful the press could be. Yeah, and something else is this team is pretty much all full of returners outside of Naheem McLeod and J.J. Starling. So you got to think they kind of have the 2-3 down by now. You don't have to spend as much time on that. Man-to-man, these players have been playing ever since they were three years old. So you can spend a lot of time in practice on that press. And I think if you do that, then they can actually be a lot better at it because I think that that is potentially a big issue and why this defense has struggled a lot in press in man-to-man under Jim Beheim whenever he decided to go that way was because the two, three, you really have to practice the two, three, you have to know where everyone else is on your team. You have to have eyes in the back of your head. And so when you're not spending all day, every day working on that in the off season, you can start really implementing the press because the press takes a long time to work on. And if you don't have five athletic guys who can run up and down the floor, it's not going to work. And it's a waste of time, especially if you're then just going to drop back into a two, three where, Oh no, everyone now has to find their positions. 
How often is that ever going to work? If you're pressing up and down the floor and then you're dropping it back into a two, three, because you're not going to want to play man. That just feels like a recipe for disaster when it comes to a defense. So if Adrian Autry can decide, you know what? These guys already know a bit of the two, three. They know it to the point where we can use it to try and fluster a defense. Let's really focus on the man. Let's focus on the press. Then I think we get to the next level where it actually starts to work, especially with that athleticism. And the 2-3 zone, I don't think will die for Syracuse. I think the defense will primarily be man-to-man for the Orange, but it's nice to have that to go to. I think there's kind of a middle ground where anyone that watched the Bayheim's Army this year at TBT knows what I'm talking about. They played man-to-man defense for the first game and a half, switched into zone at times. But the man-to-man defense Bayheim's Army played was really focused on having the guys on guys playing weak side playing help defense. There was a lot of traps. It wasn't just you're guarding your man and ignoring everybody else. And not to say that everybody that plays man-to-man defense plays that way, but there's an opportunity to be creative here and use some of the aspects and flexibilities of zone defense and athleticism and what's been the hallmark of SU's defense for years. You can bring some of that over to man-to-man defense, but you can still be able to match up when guys are shooting threes because if a team is lights out like Colgate the past two years, then all of a sudden you're going to lose games you shouldn't have. So I think the ability to be flexible this year is so much better. You have the two, three, you've got the press, you've got man to man, you have options and you're not just locked into what we've been doing for 40 years. And I think that you made a good point there. You can't abandon the two, three zone. Why has Syracuse been so successful in March Almost every single time they're there, no matter what seed, it's because you then throw that 2-3 zone and a team has no idea what's hitting them. It hasn't worked in the ACC because these coaches know what to do against it. But in the non-conference, against teams who haven't seen it before, I think you really can use the 2-3 and it can be effective because these are athletes and the 2-3 is best used with athletes. If you go away from it, then you're losing the hallmark of what this program has been, and you're losing a main reason of why they've been so successful in the tournament in years past. Yeah, there's a reason if you look back to the last decade that SU made a Final Four as a 10 seed and a Sweet 16 as an 11 seed. It's because sometimes you can just catch a team off guard, and it's great, and it's an option, but being able to run and gun, move quickly as well, I think it's a new era of college basketball. It's a new era of basketball in general, and it seems like Syracuse under Adrian Autry is finally catching up to things. Well, it's going to be exciting to see what the Syracuse men's basketball team looks like next year, but that's still pretty far away as we're just in August. What isn't that far away is football season, and we'll start off topic number three with that. Number three. Well, not too long ago, I think just a couple of days ago, the All-ACC preseason team was announced, and we have seen a familiar name on that list, Aronde Gadsden, the first-team tight end. I don't think he's a tight end. I don't know why we still put him there. I think he's a wide receiver, but at the end of the day, he was named to the All-ACC team, and I think that that is such a massive mark for Syracuse. I'm so excited to see what Aronde Gatson can do this year. He's got a lot of hype, but it's for a reason. He shattered all the tight end records for Syracuse history last season, almost a thousand yards, six touchdowns. And I I, want to address the what position is he thing, because 
I actually don't think it matters. I was looking at who was who made the all preseason all ACC team as a wide receiver. And if you look at the last wide receiver slot, Jalon Calhoun, he he was the last wide receiver and Gadsden had more touchdowns, receptions, yards than him last year. So even if he was listed as a wide receiver, I still think he's an all ACC caliber talent. That's how good he is. It really doesn't matter what you call him at the end of the day, because he's one of the best receiving talents in the entire league. And with who Syracuse has to receive the ball, he might break a thousand yards pretty easily this year. Yeah, I don't think he'll have too much of an issue with it based on what the other receivers look like on this Syracuse team. And let's get into that, because there was really nothing added this past year. There were a couple guys who were lost. Who's going to be that number two receiver? Is it going to be Trevor Pena? I mean, we've seen what he can do returning. Can he break that out now to on offense? I mean, outside of Gadsden, who does Syracuse have, if anyone? Uh, well, there's always the when will Damian Alford break out? And people have been asking that question for as long as he's been at Syracuse. And I think at this point, it's almost like it would be great if he did. You can't predict that. You can't expect the same thing over and over again without any changes. And maybe there's changes going on behind the scenes, but until Alfred proves that he can be a consistent threat, I don't know if he's that number two guy. Pena, I think, might be a good option. He's fast. There have been a lot of great returners in Syracuse history who have also been good receivers. Sean Riley back in 2016. But the real second receiving option this season might be LaQuint Allen because he is phenomenal out in the backfield. He can move quickly. He can be a safety valve for Garrett Schrader. And with Matthew Bergeron and the offensive line getting much weaker, safety valves will be very important for this offense. One guy who I'm really excited to see is Demarcus Adams. He was from FAU, transferred to Syracuse last year, caught six passes but that was for 180 yards. If you do the math, that's 30 yards per reception. He has got pure straight line speed, and I think that that adds another dimension to the Syracuse offense. I want to see him on the field a lot. Another player that I want to see on the field is someone who I actually have a personal connection to, Donovan Brown, went to my high school. I know him pretty well. He saw a lot of time on special teams last year, especially towards the end. He's another track star. He broke records in Maryland track and field and has got great hands. I've seen a lot of videos of him so far in the offseason. And I think it's guys like him, guys like LaQuinn Allen, who you aren't expecting to be receivers, if they can break out and help the receiving core, I think that really helps out Garrett Schrader because we know Garrett Schrader. We know Garrett Schrader can't be that successful if a defense is solely focused on the run. That's why these speed threats, I think, is the key to unlocking the next step in this Syracuse offense. Because if you can blow the top off a defense, they then can't stack the box if you can just run right by them. Exactly. Speed will be big. I think also height might be a big factor as well. People might forget that Isaiah Jones was a starting wide receiver for Syracuse for the first three games of last year before he got injured, and he didn't really do much in those first three games. He didn't have to as he blew out Louisville, blew out UConn in the start of last season. So Jones, a 6'4 wide receiver lining up opposite of Damian Alford, who knows, maybe he will be even better because it looks like if the coaching staff trusts the same guys as last year, then it'll be Alfred and Jones as the starters. But 
if they don't put up any receptions, then that's when you get into the Demarcus Adams and the other depth pieces that we've been talking about. Yeah, Isaiah Jones is a really interesting case after his injury last year. You know, you said he started the first three games and Baber said that he was really, really excited to see what he can do this upcoming year. And it's all about that. It's all about who can break out, who can have the season that we're not expecting, because pretty much all of these names are familiar. There's no one new that has come in to Syracuse football at the wide receiver position. There's no transfers in. There are no players who are true freshmen coming in. This was a historically bad recruiting class. I don't know if they brought in a single freshman receiver. If there is, it was a three-star or below. So someone's got to step up. Who is it going to be? Only time will tell. We're less than a month away now from the start of the football season. We've actually got football on TV tonight in the Hall of Fame game. It's crazy to say, but it is finally here. So with that, let's get into our next topic, much more of a broad one around the ACC. Number four. Well, topic number four is right around what we were talking about last time. The All-ACC teams were announced, also the ACC preseason poll. And Clemson, number one for the eighth time in nine years over Florida State. To me, that's surprising. I like the Seminoles as the top team in the ACC. What do you think, Tyler? I'm totally with you. I think Florida State has finally gotten back to its Jameis Winston era self. And Clemson, we have no idea how Clemson's quarterback situation is. Lost a lot of defensive pieces. I think there's a chance for Clemson to be a little shaky this year. And Florida State is ready to take that mantle. Some people are saying maybe even North Carolina can take up the mantle as the ACC powerhouse this year. I personally disagree with that quite a bit. I think UNC's in for a pretty disappointing season compared to what people are expecting of the Tar Heels. But going back to, you know, who's going to be number one, I'm glad we agree. agree. Florida State being a little disrespected preseason, it means they've got something to prove. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to national title odds they have the seventh best odds to win the national championship vegas loves florida state they have the best odds to win the acc title but something that really stood out to me in terms of all of the teams near the top is that they all have really good quarterbacks florida state and clemson are the top two Cade klubnik the former five-star recruit number three drake may from unc he's a potential top five pick and then in the number four spot is unc who has Brennan Armstrong, who we know pretty well. He was at Virginia for a long time and then just transferred to the Wolfpack after about a day or so of some people saying that he would come to Syracuse. And that's such an important thing, and it just proves how important the QB is because without that quarterback, you're never going to be near the top of the ACC. You can't win like 11, 10, even 10 college football games without a great quarterback. And that's, I don't want to say that's what's holding Syracuse back because I don't think Schrader will lose any games for Syracuse this year. Schrader might even win a few games this year, but he's not a guy that I would want to trust. If you're down by a few points with a two minute drill on the line, he's going to be running the ball a lot of those times. And yes, he's a good scrambler. He can make some things happen, but he's not on the level of a Drake May and 
I think, you know, looking where Syracuse ranked all the way back at 10, a quarterback would really help the Orange climb up those rankings over the next few years. And the recruiting has been great. There are a few options at quarterback going forward, but you got to develop them. It's going to take some time. Yeah, you do. If we go back to the last time that Syracuse was a real competitive force from the start of the season to the end in the ACC, it was 2018 when Eric Dungy was leading the team, a quarterback who ended up making it to the NFL. And without that QB1, you you really can't do much in terms of being a true force in college football. As we said, the top four teams in the ACC led by probably the top four quarterbacks in the conference. And outside of those four teams, it really feels like it's anyone's game in the ACC. Is Miami going to be anything special? Virginia Tech is all the way down at 11. What are we going to see from Louisville? Do you think Syracuse has a chance to do better than the preseason ranking at number 10 and jump up towards six five area i think that top four at least to me is pretty much right where it's going to be but outside of that do you think syracuse maybe has a chance tyler look syracuse has a lot of flexibility there's probably the middle like eight teams in this conference there's a lot of flexibility i see eight as about probably where su lies this year you know is su going to be better than virginia tech virginia yes probably pitt That's a 50-50. Wake Forest, that's a 50-50. There are just a lot of teams that might be better than Syracuse, might not be better than Syracuse. It all depends on, I think, how non-conference goes. And then it also depends on how Syracuse uses its home games. Because this year, there are a lot of games on the road where I have little to no confidence that Syracuse can win. And even some games where like Syracuse has to go on the road to Virginia Tech this year. I think Virginia Tech is going to be an awful football team this year. But playing on the road at Virginia Tech is difficult, and I'm not convinced that the Orange are going to come come away with that one. So going down to New York City and playing Pittsburgh as a home game, that's going to be a, a major mark for Syracuse. Hosting Army, who was a decent squad last year, that's going to be a must-win game for Syracuse if it wants to climb up higher than 10th in these rankings. It's going to be really interesting to see that's such a massive thing of Syracuse losing that home game to Pitt. That could be crucial as we get towards the end of the year as this team is talking about bull eligibility. Garrett Schrader thinks that this team has everything it takes to be bull eligible. He thinks that this team is going to be better than last year and that they have more depth, but we'll see. Only time will tell. We're less than a month away from kickoff. So with that, let's get into our final topic here on Fizz 5. Number 5. Well, we've been talking a lot about the ACC when it comes to football recently, but there's been a lot of news in the ACC lately. Clemson and Florida State potentially leaving the Atlantic Coast Conference to go to the Big Ten. Of course, with all the conference realignment that we've seen, USC and UCLA jumping from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten and Colorado from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. The one thing that hasn't changed, at least so far, is the Atlantic Coast Conference, but that might be changing soon. It might be. Look, there's been a lot of conversation over the last few months, especially at the ACC meetings this spring. Oh, is the grant of rights going to break? Are the significant seven, seven teams in the ACC that want to get out? Are they going to push for it and finally get out? But at the end of the meetings, everyone was pretty calm saying, 
oh, we love the ACC. We're going to be around for the long haul. And that's been the tune up until last week. And then Florida State officials were saying things like, our goal would be to continue to stay in the ACC, but staying in the ACC under the current situation is hard for us to figure out. Look, is it going to be a this offseason thing? No. But in the next few years, it's very hard to believe that the Atlantic Coast Conference stays together. And that's a tough future outlook for Syracuse, who pretty much gave up on its entire history back in 2013 to come to the ACC. Yeah, I mean, what's the big selling point when it comes to Syracuse and conference realignment? It's that they're New York City's team. That's kind of, I feel like, how they got to the ACC. But now the Big Ten has Rutgers. I guess you can maybe go to the SEC and say, hey, look, here we are. But I think when it comes to conference realignment, Syracuse is in a bad, bad spot because the Big Ten is, I guess, your best hope at this point. Maybe they can jump to the Big 12 if the ACC goes downhill. But at this point, it really seems like it's the ACC that's going to fall, if anyone, because the Big 12 continues to get teams from your mid-majors. They've brought UCF up and a couple of others. The Pac-12 is falling off, but that's all around the West Coast. And I feel like that's a completely different conversation of what's going to happen over there. The ACC, if your Florida State's leave and your Clemson leaves and all of those other schools, what happens to Syracuse? Do they go to the Big East? I feel like we're in a bad Adam, spot. We're Adam, in a bad that would spot. would be an absolute disaster. I understand yeah. there's the nostalgia going back to the Big East, Big East basketball, but it's never going to be the same. Georgetown, first of all, the you know the rival of the Big East days for Syracuse is awful at basketball now. So that rivalry, while still important, isn't going to provide anything to the conference. Plus, you've got teams like Creighton and Xavier in the Big East now. So Two like, very good basketball schools. Very good basketball teams. But the old Big East, as Syracuse fans remember it, is never going to be back. Plus, the more important aspect the television contract is very low and there's no football yep. conference. So then SU would have to be an independent. And in Leicester Notre Dame, being an independent is pretty much a joke. Even BYU, who was a solid independent for several years, left to go for the Big 12. Liberty joined Conference USA. There are teams that are just realizing, hey, we need contracts for football television money. And if the conference SU ends up in if the ACC breaks down needs to have football. And so yeah, if the Big I, East doesn't have football, that's not an option. It's not. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's where a lot of the people are missing because this money is not in basketball. None of this money is in basketball. There's a reason that some basketball schools are left out of that magnificent seven. It's all in football. Every single penny of this is in football. And if Syracuse doesn't go to another conference that has football, then you lose your money. The basketball teams tank. The lacrosse teams tank. Your soccer teams tank. This is a true turning point in Syracuse athletics history, and I don't know if there's ever been a bigger one of what happens. And John Wildhack has to figure this out. There are some serious conversations that have to be had of what are we going to do if the ACC goes down? I think Syracuse can't be on the back burner. I understand there's the Magnificent Seven. You probably can't join that group that's been campaigning for the ACC to either give some teams more money than others or leave. 
However, you don't want to be the last one to make a move. If Rutgers can get into the Big Ten, then I think there's an argument for Syracuse to get into the Big Ten. Look, there's a lot of benefits. It's not just football. You also have to look at, well, the Big Ten does have lacrosse and some pretty decent schools in there for lacrosse, including Johns Hopkins. So that's nice for a sport that's pretty important for Syracuse. The basketball parody is phenomenal. It feels like the Big Ten is constantly beating up on each other. I'm sure that conference would appreciate having Syracuse. But you're not going to tell me that Rutgers football is that much better than Syracuse football as a brand or as a program history or as a team right now. So if that can happen, then if these conversations continue with the ACC breaking up, Syracuse needs to be looking out the door first instead of waiting till the very end and being left with Boston College at the end of this. That That's the disaster scenario. Yeah, they have to be proactive. You can't hope that everything's going to be okay because with so much change, you don't know that. They have to be proactive and they got to look towards what's next. So with that, that's going to be all for Tyler and I here on this edition of Fizz 5. But make sure to continue following us on all of our social media platforms. We are coming up to it. We are really, really close to college football season. And we're just going to have more and more content coming your way. But with that, for Tyler Aiken, I'm Adam Gacken. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to Fizz 5. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.